Morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today. Now, before we jump in our second week of our series entitled, You Drive Me Crazy, let's celebrate together as a church family. Two weeks ago, um, you blessed our communities by helping resource the food pantries that are in desperate need of resources right now in all of our communities. Uh, many of you, you serve by bringing food to help resource them. Here's some pictures of stuff that was brought at each one of our campuses. And by the way, Blountstown, you knocked it out of the park. Thank you so much for just really loading it up and uh, for your community. Uh, many of you also gave money. Um, here's how you blessed them through giving. Blunstown, you gave $2,310. Chipley, you gave $997. And Mariani gave $2,853. And by the way, we need to celebrate Chipley. They had the highest level of participation of all of our campuses. So can we celebrate Chipley on all of our campuses? Great job. Because it's not about amount, it's about that we're all involved in this whole process. So thank you so much for being a church that is for others. And I can't wait to share with you what our next four opportunity is in two weeks. So those of you that are here for the very first time, you go, why do you guys do this four thing every month on the fourth Sunday? Because we just believe that we should be the example to our communities of what it was like for radical generosity to be part of um, the community. Because Jesus was radically generous with his love, his grace, his kindness. And so we want to be for others so they can know that God is for them as well. Now, also, if you're here for the very first time or you haven't been for a while, um, today we are in our second week of a series called You Drive Me Crazy. And um, this conversation is really about a frustration that every one of us have felt at some point in our lives. In fact, many of you are probably feeling it right now because there's just this someone in your life that just drives you crazy, right? But don't worry, you're not alone. A lot of us have thought, you drive me crazy. Now, that's why we're spending four weeks looking at what Jesus has to say about relationships. And particularly, we are looking at the unforced rhythms of grace that we can and that we need to learn from Jesus when it comes to dealing with difficult relationships. Because Jesus is very clear that there is a way to break out of this crazy-making cycle that many of us find ourselves in whenever it comes to our difficult relationships. Now, as we began to discover last week, Jesus' way of solving our crazy-making relationship problems is so different than what is intuitive of us, what we naturally think is the way to solve them. See, we, we think that somehow or other we solve our relationship problems by fixing outward behaviors, whether it's their behavior or our behavior. But as we learned last week, Jesus said, Outward behavior is not the real problem. The real problem is an internal, a heart problem. In fact, Jesus says, we have to learn to pay attention to what is going on inside of us. In fact, here's how Jesus said this. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, literally our reactions come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Now, as we said last week, our heart is the part of us that we can't see, but is the essence of who we are because everything that comes out of us on the outside, our outward behavior, it is guided by our heart. So here's the thing that you could say it this way. Our heart is the part of us that can make love so powerful, but can also make relationships so painful. 
Because our heart, as Jesus said, is the core of our character. It's the core of our integrity. It's where we lead and live and laugh and love from. And Jesus is very clear in Matthew chapter 15 that our heart, it shapes what we think. It shapes what we do. It shapes how we react. So whatever happens on the outside, it comes from our heart. And that's why we said last week, in order to change our relationships, we have to change our heart. Or another way to say that is the condition of our relationships has as much to do with the health of our hearts as it does with the behavior of other people. Now, last week, we introduced this prop to illustrate what's in our heart. So this prop, it is filled with all these different bouncy balls that represent all these emotions that we carry from all the attachments that we have made in our heart. In other words, we make attachments with lies or false truths or false um, beliefs, I should say. And what happens is those false beliefs and those lies, they create all these emotions that fill our heart. And so what ends up happening is we go through life focusing most of our efforts trying to keep all of these emotions, all this baggage under control. The problem is we know from life experience, every one of us, we know from life experience, that doesn't always work, does it? Because inevitably what happens, you have a moment when somebody comes along and they bump into you in a way that emotionally triggers you. And you react and you say or you do something that stains a relationship with your parent or maybe with your spouse or a coworker or with a classmate in school. And you think the problem is, is that person or those people, they created the conflict. It's their fault that they bumped into you. But here's the truth. What comes out of you in every reaction that you have when any, anybody bumps into you, it's not because of what happened to you. It's not because of what they did. It's because that's what's inside your heart. And understanding that is so important because here's what we all know, but that we don't think about enough. And that is this, the quality of your relationships determine the quality of your life. See, when things are really good between you and the people in your life, life is good, isn't it? But when relationships go south, life goes south really fast. See, relationships, they can make life feel like it's worth living, and sometimes they make life feel like it is unlivable. And that's why Jesus says that there is a direct correlation between the health of my heart and the health of my relationships with the people around me. So today what I wanna do is I wanna identify what I call the biggest crazy-making attitude that we can allow to attach in our heart. And what we're gonna see is when we allow this crazy-making attitude to attach in our heart, we're gonna understand how devastating it is to us and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And we're gonna understand why Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, he says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. In fact, I've discovered that when I allow this crazy making lie, this crazy making attitude to attach to my heart, it is one of the greatest hindrances and don't miss what I'm gonna say right here. It is one of the greatest hindrances to feeling loved well by others and being able to love well. Don't miss that. 
Whenever I allow this crazy-making attitude to attach to my heart, what this attitude does is it creates all these emotions that fill up our heart, and we can't give love, neither can we receive love. It's why most of us live our lives frustrated in relationships because what we end up experiencing because of this attachment in our heart is we experience the emotion of anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, envy. We could make the list go on. And all of those emotions that fill up our heart from these attachments, they prevent us from loving other people well and feeling loved by other people. And then we look at everybody and go, why don't you make me feel more loved? Why don't you care more about me? But in reality, we can't feel the love that other people are trying to give to us, and we can't give love to other people because of this attitude. So what is this attitude? What is this lie? It is this. You may want to write this down. It's the lie that I am the most important person in the relationship. It's that attitude. It is the lie that I'm the most important person in this relationship. Now, another word for this phrase or this lie is the word pride. It's the attitude of pride. And while most of us would not want to admit that we carry or we've attached this attitude to our heart, it is the attitude, if we're all honest, as we're going to see from scripture today, it is the attitude that is the most familiar to you and the most familiar to me. Because see, pride, what it does is it drives the feeling that I am constantly competing for others or with others for resources, for respect and for recognition in my life. Pride, it drives the feeling that other people don't treat me fairly. It's the emotion that demands that my relationships should revolve around me. See, pride demands that that other people should make me feel loved and appreciated and valued and respected and secure and competent and confident and significant and important, appreciated and accepted. I mean, after all, if I'm the most important person in the relationship, then this is what I believe you owe me. You should make me feel this way. Because I am the most important person. Now, it's almost impossible to see this attitude of demanding this out of others or realizing that we have made this attachment in our heart. But while it is very hard, and I'm going to say it's almost impossible for us to see this attachment in our heart without the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word in our, in our lives revealing this to us. But while it's very difficult for us to see the pride in ourselves, other people see it. And more importantly, other people feel the demands of it. In fact, let me kind of illustrate how that we live this out and what it does to our relationships by using these three balloons right here. Just a quick question. Which of these three balloons are gonna be the easiest to pop? I mean, I, I don't even have to pick this up to do this to show you, right? I mean, you automatically know. The one that is what? Blown up the most. See, the more puffed up a balloon is, the easier it is to pop. I mean, think about it. Now, here's the reality. The same is true for you. The greater your level of pride, the more puffed up you are, the more you want to be the most important person in the room, 
the easier it is for your ego to get popped when somebody doesn't make you feel this way. But see, we don't see our inflated egos. We don't see the attachment that we have made with pride in our hearts as, as the problem. What we see is the other person who came along and bumped into me hard enough to cause my ego to pop. See, most of your reactions in life is somebody popping your ego because you feel like you're the most important person in the relationship. Now, if you're sitting there today and you're going, oh, no, 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 this isn't me. I don't have an inflated ego. I don't struggle with pride. It's all these people around me. Let me give you a couple things to consider to see if you have attached this attitude in your heart that you are the most important person in the relationship. So let's just start with this one. And that is this. You're easily offended because you take everything personally. That's pride. If you're just easily offended. In other words, somebody asks you a question, somebody makes a comment, and they don't mean anything from you, but you kind of take it as this indictment and it stirs something up emotionally with you and all of a sudden you're kind of spinning and nobody else in the room is feeling what you're feeling and after the meeting, you're asking everybody, did you feel this? Did you feel this? And they're like, no. See, here's the thing. Humble people have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. It is hard to offend a humble person. I don't miss that. It is so hard to offend a humble person. But it is so easy to offend a proud person. And also don't miss what we're saying here, and that is this. The feelings of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy, that I'll never measure up, that I'm never enough, those feelings are directly linked to pride. Because insecurity is this perverse form of pride because we assume that everybody is focused on us. And, And most of the time, they aren't. Because they're too busy wondering what everybody's thinking about them. But pride, it causes us to make ourselves to be more important to others in our minds than what we are, which drives our feeling of insecurity and inferiority. Or how about this one? Often giving advice, but never asking for it. That's pride. Like, when's the last time that you asked for advice? Now, hang on just a second. Some of you go, oh, I ask for advice all the time. Okay. When's the last time you asked for advice and then followed that advice? Here's another one. You struggle to admit that you have a problem that you aren't sure how to solve. See, if you have a hard time admitting that you need help or asking for help, because if your line is, oh, I just don't want to ask anybody for help, I just can't need to, then, then you probably got a fair amount of pride rattling around in your heart. But here's the big giveaway that we have pride in our heart, and that is this. You tend to think the other person is the problem in the relationship. That's pride. See, your tendency is to think the other person is the cause of the miscommunication or if your tendency is to think the other person is the cause for your failed outcomes or if your tendency is to feel like that the other person gets preference so they have the advantage, that's why they were able to do better than you were able to. If your tendency is to be negative or critical about other people, that is pride. 
and pride, it destroys relationships. And here's why. Because a relationship in where one person always demands to be the most important person in the relationship, that's not much of a relationship. And here's the other thing. It's not easy to rid our hearts of this attitude because we are born in this world with a sin nature. And so we all naturally desire to be the most important person in the relationship. And that's why so many of us, we tolerate, we find ways to justify, turn a blind eye toward this attitude of pride that is attached to our hearts. But as we're gonna see here in just a moment, as followers of Jesus, I mean, this attitude, it can't be allowed to be attached to our hearts for one moment because number one, it's not the attitude of our leader, Jesus. And in fact, as we're gonna see, it's in direct opposition to how Jesus would lead us to live and to think. So James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he reminds this of us of this in a letter that he writes to some Jewish Christ followers in the letter we call James. And he's encouraging these Jesus followers to recognize, hey, here's what's really sabotaging your relationships and here's what's really sabotaging your life. In fact, notice what James says in James chapter three, beginning in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And most of us go, especially if you think you're the most important person in the relationship, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm wise. I have a great understanding about our relationship because wait, wait. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from godly wisdom. Now, let's just kind of pause here for just a moment and let this sink in. James says, if you truly have godly wisdom, if you truly have godly understanding, you won't use your wisdom and understanding to power up on people and try to make them think that you're the most important person in the relationship. Instead, what you're gonna do is you're going to seek out of your good life by deeds done in humility, you're gonna seek to make the other person feel like that they are the most important person in the relationship. And so he says the evidence of that is you're gonna live with this others first Deeds done in humility. That's gonna be your lifestyle, a lifestyle of humility. You go, well, what is humility? Well, humility is simply thinking of yourself less. Humility is not focused on how you're gonna get your way or how, convinced, how to get, convince other people that you're right or how to talk other people into doing what you want. No, humility is not zeroing in on yourself when you're looking at a group photograph to see what you look like in that picture. No, Humility puts the interest of others before myself. That is humility. So James reminds us in, in verse 13 here that humility is the way forward in relationships. In fact, he's reminding us, you could write it down this way, relationships work best for you when they're not about you. James is reminding us that the key to great relationships is not by being the most important person in the relationship, but having great relationships is the result of having a heart full of humility because what he says in verse 13 is humility is what makes us more makes us wiser and more understanding in our relationships so the more humble you are 
the wiser you are about your relationships and the more understanding you are about relationships. So humility is the fastest route to restoring broken or wounded relationships. But you know what? We resist that. Because as we're about to see, our flesh, our natural desires, they want to be the most important or want us to be the most important person in the relationship. In fact, notice how James says this, you're following along in your Bibles in verse 14. He says, but if you harbor, that's that whole idea of attachment. If if you allow that to attach to your heart, He says, if you harbor bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthy, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Now, in verse 14, what James is doing here is he's contrasting the heart of humility that we looked at in verse 13 with the heart that desires to be the most important person in the relationship. So James says, if you harbor, if you make an attachment with pride, then you're gonna end up with bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition in your heart. Or another way to say it, if you make an attachment with the evil emotion of pride, he says the result is, is you're gonna find disorder, crazy making, and every evil practice. See, when he talks about evil practice, it's those things we do in a relationship that we know are disobedient to Jesus, but we do them anyway because we can adjust it. We justify our behavior because after all, I'm the most important person in the relationship. So we harbor the evil attitude of pride anyway. And we don't want to admit that we could have evil in our heart. It's why he says, don't deny the truth. Why? Why do we not deny that? Because see, we don't want to lose our excuse for staying attached to or in agreement with the evil emotion of pride. Because as long as I deny that the truth, the truth that my problem in my relationships is my pride, then I can justify and I can rationalize blaming those people or that person for the disorder and the evil in my relationships. But that's not all. There's a phrase here that says, if you harbor bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition in your heart. And most of us read over that word selfish ambition. We go, oh, that's just a person trying to have success in their life, business success. They're trying to go up the corporate ladder and they don't care who gets stepped on in the way to do that. And that's a true definition of it as well. But there's much more to that phrase selfish ambition, something that's so personal, that's a relational game changer. And most of us, and because most of us don't realize how much selfish ambition we have allowed to fill up our heart because of our pride. But according to James, selfish ambition is why we justify our evil behavior for how we treat other people. Selfish ambition is the idea that I'm entitled to more than what I'm getting from this relationship. It's why you look at your spouse and going like, you should do more for me or you don't do enough for me. It's that kind of attitude. It's selfish ambition. It fuels our unrealistic expectations and makes demands on others to make us feel a certain way. And selfish ambition, it blinds us to the demands that I put on others to make me feel like I am the most important person in the relationship. So selfish ambition is my rationalization and my justification for why I can treat you any way I want and somehow or another think that's okay because selfish ambition 
is what causes me to feel like, oh, things are just unfair. It's what causes me to carry bitterness in my heart. In fact, notice how the attitude of desiring to be the most important person in the relationship, as we're going to see here in just a second, is blatantly anti-Christ. I mean, think about this. He, he uses earthy, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthy. It refers to qualities of people who care nothing about God. Totally unspiritual in their approach to life. There's no God view in their mindset. It often is used to describe selfish unkindness and this materialistic behavior that drives, it's really opposed to the fruit of the spirit, like meekness and kindness, wisdom that comes from above. And then he says, unspiritual. It's the idea that I'm very carnal and that the carnality in my heart is what is driving my instincts, what is driving my mindset. And then he uses this word and it's, it's just like a shock to our system. Demonic, really? Because demonic suggests that this type of thinking that I'm the most important person in the relationship, it, it's, it's the idea of a person who's characterized by qualities that are in opposition to the way that Jesus teaches us to live, which is living out the fruit of the spirit. So whenever you allow pride to attach to your heart in any way, you are living, what James is saying, is you're living in agreement with the demonic. You are giving Satan a foothold in your life. So James is trying to say, listen, pride is so destructive because Satan wants to do nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy. It's why C.S. Lewis, he wrote these words. He says, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. And then James, he describes what a life looks like that follows the unforced rhythm of grace as they follow Jesus down the path of humility. He said, Here, here's what, he, or he's about to say, here's what humility acts like. And, and most importantly, here's what humility reacts like. James says, listen, th this is what your actions and reactions look like when your relationship no longer, or in your relationships, you no longer have to be seen as the most important person in the relationship. And I'm imagining when James writes this, he's most likely thinking about how his older half-brother James lived and treated others as he went about doing ministry. Notice verse 17, here's what he says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, it's pure, then peace-loving, considerate. If you're taking notes of your Bible, circle this next one. Submissive. Men are submissive, women are submissive, students are submissive, full of mercy, full of mercy. That's the primary characteristic that people say you're just full of mercy and good fruit impartial and very sincere in other words i'm not trying just to get you to go along with me to get my way i'm, I'm very sincere about your benefit peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness so james is saying hey here's what it looks like to live like your leader jesus lived here's what it looks like to walk in the footsteps of jesus on the path of humility i mean look at this list pure peace-loving considerate submissive full of mercy good fruit impartial and sincere isn't that what we want in every relationship that we're in and he says when these are the characteristics of your heart 
then you become a peacemaker. Now, there's a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Many of you, you are peacekeepers. In other words, you just keep pushing it in, keeping it in, and you don't say what needs to be said. You just kind of stuff things. And then one day, somebody bumps into you and you explode. And you know, it's their fault. But no, you've just been being a peacekeeper. So you've been letting all these emotions of anger, resentment, bitterness, all that build up in your heart. But a peacemaker is a person who's kind. They speak the truth in love. They lean in to the difficult conversations because their desire is for oneness and intimacy in the relationship, for better relationships. And so they're willing to speak and say, Here, you know, here's what Jesus leads us to do. And they'll have those tough conversations. So James says, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, these characteristics should be the attitude of your heart in your relationships with others. But I'm just gonna go and tell you, James is also saying that there's no way to have these characteristics in your life when you feel in your heart that you are the most important person in the relationship. So James is again saying that relationships work best for you when they're not about you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, you should understand this way better than anybody else. I mean, the one person who could have claimed that he was the most important person in the relationship, Jesus, he never used his power. He never used his position for his advantage. I mean, think about it. Give me a slight advantage, give you a slight advantage, and your instinct and my instinct is to use it for our advantage, right? But Jesus, he was God in human flesh. He had the full advantage, but he didn't use it to take advantage of anyone. Instead, he used his power not for his advantage, but Jesus used his power, his advantage for other people. I mean, think about this. Jesus chose to make himself a nobody. Read Philippians chapter two. I mean, isn't that ironic? See, we go through our life and because we struggle with the attachment of pride in our life and the lie that I need to be the most important person in the relationship, we go through our life trying to make ourselves somebody. And that's our greatest struggle in life for many of us, the question, how am I gonna make sure I get, you know, I need to be somebody, I need to do something with my life, I gotta be somebody with my life. Jesus was somebody and he chose to be nobody. So much so that in Philippians, Apostle Paul wrote that he says he embodied that likeness of a servant. And what does a servant do? Well, a servant wakes up every morning thinking, how do I serve somebody else? How do I benefit somebody else? A servant wakes up every morning thinking about what do I need to do to further somebody else's progress, to make somebody else's life easier. Easier. A servant never thinks of himself or herself as the most important person in the relationship. No, a servant spends their life deferring and submitting to the most important people in the relationship. So let me ask you a question. For all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, if our Savior and our leader and our King willingly chose to identify as a servant, shouldn't we do the same? Instead of trying to make ourselves somebody, shouldn't servant be like the first word people think of when they think of your life or my life? Shouldn't that be our identity? More than living with a lie that I need to be the most important person in the relationship? So, Here's your homework for this week. Three things that you can do 
to remind yourself when you start falling back into that lie, falling back into that trap of feeling like you're the most important person in the room. Because every time you do one of these things, what it's gonna help you do is remove part of the attachment of this lie, of this attitude that I am the most important person in the relationship. So here's the first thing that you can do. Stop comparing yourself to them. Pride is the root of selfish ambition and selfish ambition always drives comparison. Anytime you find yourself comparing with someone, you know it's rooted in pride. That's why the apostle Paul, he wrote these words. He says, we're we're unwise when we compare ourselves to somebody else. Anytime you compare yourself in any way to someone else, it is selfish ambition. Anytime you say, it's not fair, it's out of selfish ambition. You're not being led by the spirit of God. Instead, it's earthy, unspiritual, and demonic thinking. So, The first thing you need to do is you come and say, okay, I'm comparing. And you go, God, forgive me for pride. Get that out of my life. The second thing you do is you count your blessings. I mean, somebody else has something that you don't have. Celebrate with them, congratulate them. But that's so hard to do when you don't realize how much God has done for you. So somebody gets something that you wanted to get a promotion. They, They get some advantage that you would love to have. And all of a sudden you start feeling... I can't believe they got that. It's not fair. Pause. Understand that you have made an agreement with the the attitude of pride or the lie that you need to be the most important person in relationship. Ask God to help you remove that. Count your blessings. The third thing is be honest with yourself. That's what James is saying in James chapter three. Be honest with yourself. Like, where is pride showing up in your relationships? Where is selfish ambition showing up in your relationships? How are you acting like you are the most important person in the room? What what are you doing to make it all about you? And then how could you demonstrate more humility in your relationships this week? Like, how do you put their interest in front of your interest? What, What if you really leaned in and asked the Holy Spirit to give you a heart that is humble and gentle? And you really listen to understand their point of view. And what if you valued what mattered to them more than what matters to you, even if it doesn't make sense to you? Listen, this week, I just want to encourage you, be honest with yourself. Because every time you're honest with yourself and you feel these emotions being just welling up in you and spilling out of you, just be honest and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to cleanse my heart. I come against this lie, this attachment I've made with pride. I don't have to be the most important person in the relationship. And it's just by doing these things over and over again and coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit instead of agreement with the lie that I need to be the most important person in the relationship. If you'll do this, man, you'll experience relationships at a whole nother level that you never imagined. Now, you're gonna have to ask God to help you to be humble enough to do this because you can't do this on your own. Humility does not come natural. And by the way, if you find yourself this week resisting this, well, that's pride. That pride is not only wrecking your relationship with other people, with yourself, but also with God. So if you want to enjoy healthy relationships with God and others, you have to rid your heart of this attitude 
that you are the most important person in the relationship. Pride is a relationship wrecker and humility is the only way to defeat pride in your life. And I know all of this is so counterintuitive, but our leader, Jesus, our King, our Savior, he, he proved to us that not making about you is the best way to draw people to you. So remember, you need to stop comparing. Count your blessings. Be honest with yourself because every time you stop and you say, God, I'm sorry, I was comparing. God, I wasn't being grateful for what you've done to me. God, I was, I was living in the deception and justifying my pride. Every time you do that, it's able to remove a little bit more of that attachment. His Holy Spirit will cleanse your heart more and more. Remember, relationships work best for you when they're not about you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity just to come before you, to no longer live in denial, realizing that over 2,000 years ago, um, James, through your spirit, called us out. Go, hey, you try to deny this. But it's real. You really do desire to be the most important person in the relationship. And while it's hard for us to see, everybody else feels it. So Father, forgive us for our sin of pride. Forgive us for living with the attitude that we have to be the most important person and are the most important person in the relationship. Forgive us for demanding others to make us feel certain ways. God, I just ask right now that you help us to just lean into you this week to so rid our hearts of this attachment of pride and selfish ambition and envy and resentment. God, forgive us for harboring that. God, we want a heart that is like our Lord and Savior, Jesus' heart, humble and gentle. So this week, I pray that when we find ourselves comparing, comparing ourselves with others, that um, God, you'll help us to just turn that over to you and allow your Holy Spirit to remove it. When we start saying it's not fair, or I can't believe they got that advantage, or we start feeling jealousy, um, may we turn that over to you and allow you to remove another level of pride from our heart. And that God, just help us to continue to live honestly before you that every time we get bumped and our emotions spill out, help us to remember that our ego just got deflated because of pride. God, help us to live with nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. taking on the heart of a servant and humbly leaning in and loving others through our good deeds out of a heart of humility. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks for your help and the transformation that you're gonna bring in Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, thank you so much for spending today with us. See you next week for part three of our series.